नमस्कार वेलकम टू द एक्सेसिबल योगा पॉडकास्ट वेर वी एक्सप्लोर द कनेक्शन बिटवीन द एंशियंट टीचिंग ऑफ योगा इन द कॉन्टेक्स ऑफ द टाइम्स वी लिव इन दिस पॉडकास्ट इज ब्रॉट यू बाई द एक्सेसिबल योगा एसोसिएशन a non-profit organization focused on accessibility and equity in yoga. I'm your co-host Anjali Rao. My pronouns are she and her, and I serve as president of the Accessible Yoga Association Board of Directors. And I'm your co-host Shivana Hayman. My pronouns are he and him, and I serve as the director of the Accessible Yoga Association. Hello and welcome to the Accessible Yoga podcast. I am Anjali Rao. My pronouns are she, her, and I will be the host for today's episode on a topic that is very close to my heart as a survivor, uh yoga and cancer. I am so looking forward to this conversation with our guest who I consider a friend and a comrade in the world of yoga and who made time in her busy schedule to show her support. Welcome, welcome to Anusha Vijay Kumar. a few words for anusha and i would i invite you to please introduce yourself in your own words um anusha is the wellness consultant for hog hospital one of the top rated hospitals in the us where she leads an integrative medicine and implementing mindfulness meditation practices for early risk assessment for breast and ovarian cancer prevention programs and breast cancer survivorship programs anusha is very passionate about her work in stem and is also now entered the world of academia so anusha thank you so much for making uh time for this podcast and having this conversation with me your perspective and presence is so needed in both wellness and academia so i'm so excited to see where this is taking you if you could just uh share in your own words what you are up to right now thank you and first of all congratulations anjali on becoming the new president incoming for accessible yoga they are blessed to have you and i'm really excited to see where you take the organization in the coming year and so congratulations on that and always happy to support the vital work of accessible yoga Thank you also for that kind introduction. And so yes, I am the wellness consultant for Hoag. We are based in Orange County, California, where I lead on integrative medicine and holistic wellness for our Women's Health Institute and Neurosciences Institute, specifically focused on breast cancer care. prevention ovarian cancer care and pre- prevention and our maternal mental health program and i know that we'll talk a lot more about the cancer piece as we move forward i am also a newly appointed faculty member and professor at san diego state university where i teach a course that's very close to my heart and this is where you know when we step into our dharma divine opportunities come our way and i was blessed to be able to create this course that is very much i guess how i'm showing up in the world and it's all about collective well-being and the intersection of wellness and social justice at the weber honors college at sdsu and i'm also the author of meditation with intention that came out in january 2021 and just grateful to be in community with you oh i'm so excited to have this conversation because intersectionality in wellness is such a big uh you know need of and has been a need of the hour in most of the world right now so i'm grateful that you're doing this work it's a cause like i said very close to my heart um how did you start working with uh, folks with cancer for 
first, Anusha. What drew you to this work? So very interestingly, I was a speaker at a wellness conference in November, October or November 2015. And I had just uh, started, kind of branched out on my own and begun my company, Shanti Within. And Hogue, one of their leadership team, was present at this wellness conference and heard me speak and then reached out to me thereafter, again, divinely guided, divinely led, and invited me to have a meeting with their leadership team for uh, the Women's Health Institute. And it, it, I've never looked back. So I began with Hogue almost seven years ago now, and my role has just grown, and I feel truly rewarded and grateful to do the work that I do with them. Wonderful. And uh, can you share an experience that moved you, you know, in that space? There have been so many, but I, I guess the work that I'd love to talk about in a little bit more detail with you, and I know it's close to your heart, is my work being one of the first people to create a meditation program that we're clinically testing at Hoke. So my work specifically in STEM and evidence-based medicine. And so... When you work in clinical research, I don't think what people realize is it's a long road. There's a lot of research. There's a lot of pre-work that goes into getting a proposal together, getting that proposal approved by hospital administration, getting the IRB, the Independent Review Board, to authorize your research. So it's not just suddenly like, oh, I've come up with an idea and now I'm going to implement it. With, with clinical evidence-based medicine, there's a lot more to it than that, which is why when people tell me I've done my own research, you know, it baffles me. A Google search, is not as wonderful as Google is, right? And we all use it. And this is not, a, you know, any disrespect towards using search engines, but a Google search isn't research. So when people say, I've done my own research, and we've seen a lot of that within yoga and wellness spaces over the past few years in particular, I don't think they realize the harm that that statement causes. And, and, the reverberation of that harm, you know, within wellness spaces specifically. So this work that I'm doing is very close to my heart. It has been a long time in the making, and we are very fortunate that it's at no cost to our patients because the vast majority of work that I do at Hogue is funded through philanthropy and our donors at the Hogue Hospital Foundation. We do a lot of work in the community. And this program in particular, we were able to introduce to patients during the pandemic. So you're a breast cancer survivor yourself, so you can really relate to this. So during the pandemic, people were having to come to their appointments alone. They were having to undergo surgery alone. They were getting a cancer diagnosis alone. And I don't think people, I'm a frontline healthcare worker as well. So I've been on the front lines of the pandemic working at our main hospital uh, in 2020. Pre-vaccination, so we are putting our families, ourselves at risk, right? And so for me, this disinformation and misinformation is very deep because I saw firsthand the damage that it created. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's a, a subtopic. Yeah, but, but it's so all... It's, to yeah, no, but it's all related. And I uh, used to teach yoga for cancer at Stanford for people who are going through both uh, diagnosis and post-diagnosis uh, post through treatment. So I've seen how, uh, first of all, yoga uh, has, you know, supported people for various reasons and through the process and post-operation surgeries and all of that. So uh, my approach and my work in, in this realm has been 
different and yours has been from the back end and also you know i think it's all it's all needed and obviously uh, one can't do without the other so uh, and yes absolutely through the pandemic we saw that as you said uh, a far more steeper need for wellness spaces which are intersectional uh, in the sense for those of for those folks who don't have access to healthcare or the systems of care, um, how did you see this sort of uh, play out in in the in the community that you were a part of? Yeah, and this will circle back, I think, to the example that I would love to give about how the meditation program has really touched the lives of our patients. And there are many, but one of them springs to mind. So we were introducing this to newly diagnosed breast cancer patients predominantly during the pandemic at this very stressful time, right? And the patients that we introduced this to were not familiar with meditation. And if they were, they had never had any regularity of practice. And one patient in particular had to go to her surgery alone. This is during the pandemic. You weren't allowed to have any family members with you. And they were feeling heightened anxiety because the OR schedule just depends upon the surgeons and issues that arise during uh, operations and, and surgeries. And so this patient's surgery was delayed. They were having like heightened anxiety. And when my colleague, who I partnered with to actually do this research, Dr. Heather McDonald, she's the director of our Previva program at Hogue, and her and I are the authors of this research. When she came to see her patient, the patient said, I'm so grateful for your program. I basically, even though I didn't have my phone, I've been doing the practice regularly. I was able to remember Anusha's voice, remember the meditation and do the practice, which really helped calm me down leading up to this surgery. And obviously being in a state of calm is optimal you know, before surgery, uh, kind of managing that, that parasympathetic nervous system response and managing that stress response. And, and this patient was able to do that through the program. And then, you know, we've had so many stories of how this program has touched people's lives, but the other one that jumps out is that, you know, we never anticipated that people's partners would do the program with them. That wasn't anything that we had written into the research or that we had anticipated. And the number of our patients that share with us that their partners also did the 12-week program with them and felt the benefits of the practice. And in particular, one of our patients whose partners had had leukemia for 25 years, she was had used to be his primary carer. She was then diagnosed with breast cancer. And this her, her partner did the practice with her and he found and felt the benefits of meditation also amidst his own diagnosis and of course his wife's diagnosis. So yeah, so many benefits, uh, which is, you know, amazing for us to behold. And it just makes me grateful to be able to do the work that I do in cancer care and breast cancer specifically. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. That is, uh, uh, that is really touching that, that the partners who, who are, or, you know, partners of folks who are diagnosed are doing this and supporting this. And uh, I'm, I want to look at the research too at some point. So is there any way we can look, like see the, access the research or do you have to be a part of? So we, if you had attended the International Congress on Integrative Medicine in Phoenix, Arizona in May, 2022, we presented our research and we presented my Program. We were invited to present, uh, which was amazing. But really, at the moment, it's only at medical conferences that we are beginning to present the research as we're in the final stages of 
collating the pain analysis. So we were able to kind of collate the meditation perspective and we just completed our final patient this summer. So we'll have more information available, but currently it's really only in uh, medical environments that we will be presenting. But of course, I'm always happy to share more. And that's a great point. I should probably share more about this work that yes. I do uh, on social media. Yeah, there's always so much to share. I know. Though, so. <laughs> <laughs> I totally understand, and and you know, yeah. it was just it's a personal question too, in so many ways, because I have, when one is diagnosed, uh, you become the de facto sort of a counselor for so many people who get diagnosed, and then they call you, and then they're like, you know, what what should I do? What are some of the practices that I do? So I share it. So if there is something which you have shared, which is in one place or a link or something like that, then I can just sort of show them that show them where the information is located and maybe they can access it and then i can say that hey this is not just a google research this is this is research that has been done by valid uh folks who know both yoga as well as uh you know modern western medicine so it's like both and there is rigor to the pra to the research because there is so much information out there as you have just uh, alluded to it it's it's a uh, it's uh, it can be overwhelming for the patients uh when they're also going through so much of sort of information overload so i appreciate that and maybe we can just share some sort of pointers to some work that you like also uh, secondary research and then that can also probably support uh, folks as well so thank you for sharing that um i know we just talked before the recording that you know thank god for yoga big, uh, as a personal practice for for you as a person who's doing the work in the field as a frontline activist as a researcher as a teacher as uh, you know a community member at large um doing the work of social justice how is all of this impacting uh your own practice i mean how is that expanded or how do you center your own care when you're working out in this field i mean that's a great question and like we said just before we began the official recording to me i couldn't have got through the past two years without my sadhana without my spiritual practice without my daily practice of yoga and you know what is yoga far more than asana you know yoga is an asana we have to dismantle that narrative it's inaccessible it's elitist it's ableist and the list goes on and for me it's the philosophy of the practice it's the meditative contemplative aspects of the practice that have saved me during uh you know an incredibly isolating and stressful time which has been the case for i would say pretty much everybody uh during the pandemic but i have to say as a frontline healthcare worker there there was much more stress because you are putting the needs of your patients over everybody else's needs including your own including your families like we were saying you know i was at the main hospital from the outset of when the pandemic started there were no vaccinations right they hadn't kind of you know people were they masking as effectively as i would have liked i'm in a room i have a small child he he was 3 2 at that point so you know for those of us that are on the front lines in these health crises in these times which the past 2 years have been it's a different lens through which we see wellness right a completely different lens and there was so much that i saw from people that were had the privilege to be ensconced in their homes that didn't have to put themselves at risk that didn't have to put their families at risk that had a lot of opinions often none of them rooted 
in science. None of them rooted in evidence-based medicine. And I think it's easy for us to offer opinions without having to actually live something and without having to see the reality, without having to see hospital beds running out. I see useful to capacity, primarily because of the spreading of misinformation and disinformation, largely within yoga and wellness spaces. And that's the reality. So I think for me, what I noticed working in this space is like, wow, I'm actually working in a space where I don't have much commonality with anybody in this space. And that was incredibly isolating. I mean, the good thing to come out of that is it didn't enable me to make connections with amazing people around the world, even if not in my own, you know, locale. But I would say that that chasm deepened for me. And the harsh reality of how wellness has become the opposite of what wellness should entail. Yes, because it has become so elitist and only a few, few people can access it. We'll be right back with this episode after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Join the International Association of Yoga Therapists, IAYT, for the annual symposium on yoga research at beautiful Kripalu in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, October 17th through the 19th, 2022. SYR is the only conference outside of India dedicated to yoga research. Leading researchers will share findings on the efficacy of yoga for various psychological and physical conditions. SYR is a unique learning opportunity in an unforgettable setting, encouraging networking and collaboration amongst attendees, including yoga therapists, clinicians, integrative healthcare, and psychology professionals. SYR is happening October 17th through the 19th at Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health. Visit conferences.iayt.org slash SYR2022 to register. And you often debunk, you know, or rather you draw attention to the rise of white supremacy in, uh, in yoga spaces and in you know, the larger wellness uh, space. Could you talk a little bit more about that and why that is so important for us to continuously uh, delve into? I mean, white supremacy is a paradigm that we are all living under and in, whether we're consciously aware of it or not. And I think there tends to be some confusion. So when we say, or I say white supremacy, people associate that with MAGA, which it is, with Confederate flags, which it is, with the Ku Klux Klan, which it is. Those are very, you know, overt examples of white supremacy, of which have grown over the past years. That's undeniable. I live in uh, such a community. But then there's the covert white supremacy that we face every day, especially for those of us that are highly melanated, visible people of color, that we can't escape, that is inescapable and is sucking the air out of it, out of the room, again, whether you're aware of it or not. So ultimately, there are people that, you know, benefit, obviously, from this paradigm of white supremacy. There are people of color that uphold the paradigm of white supremacy, consciously or not, because of the history of colonization, because of the history of enslavement. So to me, there's a couple of things here. Each of us has to adopt a decolonial mindset. It is pivotal that we do that. And to take a step back and to really commit to unlearning and relearning. And that goes hand in hand with dismantling the narrative and this paradigm of white supremacy that we are all living under. 
that is suffocating everybody. Because ultimately, un until we can all be well, none of us are truly well. And we see this in America. I see countless examples of this in America. We don't even need to look any further every day. And so that is the damaging narrative that has played out very much so within yoga and wellness spaces that we need to continue to be dismantling and divesting from. Absolutely. And uh, thank you so much for sharing that. So, uh, Art, you know, with such articulation and clarity. Uh, I know you are, uh, you know, uh, we just sort of jumped right into this conversation, but to take a little bit of a, you know, back uh, step, to, to reel it back a little bit in your own uh, background, as, as you said, like a melanated individual and uh, uh, somebody, somebody who has come into the U.S. from... Uh, from Britain? Can you just uh, yes, tell us a little bit more London. about that? Yeah. And how has that informed your position, positionality here as a wellness uh, consultant, as a person who is a frontline activist in the wellness spaces? How has that informed it here? So you're absolutely right. I was born in London. I've spent, I've lived in uh, Australia and New Zealand, but I've spent all, most of my life in the UK. And it's totally different because we have, you know, universal health care. We have paid maternity leave. We have paid paternity leave. We have access for people at the margins of society, historically underserved, to be serviced by not only social services, but a number of different grassroots nonprofits, national nonprofits, et cetera. The bulk of my experience has actually been working in what we call the third sector, the not-for-profit sector in the UK. And my work in social justice spans over two decades now. I'm of Sri Lankan Tamil heritage. And my work in social justice and activism began actually working with Sri Lankan Tamil migrants who were classed as refugees and asylum seekers over 20 years ago now because of the civil war in Sri Lanka and the ethnic cleansing and genocide of Sri Lankan Tamils. So to me, social justice has been the underpinning of, of my life. It's always been activism has been something that was introduced to me through my mother and she kind of led by example and, and my father. And it's always been a part of, you know, my work, if you will. And that now, I guess, is just getting a, a larger audience or a, a bigger environment, a bigger forum, you know, whatever you want to call it. But in, in a sense, it's always been who, who I am and, and how I'm showing up. And I guess I'm being given more of an opportunity to do that publicly, which I'm uh, truly grateful for. And I, I never take that for granted because, you know, I had a meeting earlier where someone approached me. Uh, you know, it's an organization that's doing amazing work in Orange County, and they uh, wanted me to speak on behalf of Hogan. They were like, you know, you're really outspoken on your social media. Now, how does that play into the other work that you do? And that's a great question, because I work with corporations and I have private clients. I work for a hospital. But to me, I'm always going to show up authentically. Now, that is looking different in each space, but I'm still showing up as who I am. And I'm grateful to have the support of the organizations and companies that I work with. I'm selective with who I work with now. It's a privilege to be able to do that. I'm fully aware everybody can't. There was a period when I couldn't. But I would always be mindful of who am I choosing to be in community with? What companies am I gravitating towards? Because there are certain organizations and people and companies that I just wouldn't work with. 
And that's not to say that others shouldn't. It's just that those are my own boundaries, but also yogic ethics, values, morals that are a part of my own sadhana that I would be, it would be doing a disservice to myself to, to pretend that that doesn't, that isn't factoring, you know, uh, in the work that I'm doing. And so that, you know, is, I guess, the lens with which I have come to America. I've engaged in the work that I'm doing. But, you know, it's interesting coming from the UK because people often say to me, oh, you're very socialist in the UK. No, we're not. We're very much a capitalist society. We just believe in having, in, in, in addressing inequities in society and systemic inequities, institutional inequities. That doesn't mean to say that we don't have problems. We've got many in the UK. It's the home of white supremacy, mm-hmm. one of the homes. Right? And it's start, one, of the, one of the ones which started it all uh, for so many oh, of us. yes. <laughs> yes, and I can, I'm British. Right. You know, one of the homes of white supremacy. Absolutely. Look at it. Britain's history of colonization, specifically right. in the Indian subcontinent in South Asia. So, you know, I think Americans have this notion of of communism or socialism, perhaps without an understanding and and an awareness of what that really is. And, you know, to me, it's this. It's it's in many ways we have to simplify. We don't need to be living in a dystopian society. Houselessness shouldn't be normalized. Food insecurity shouldn't be normalized. You know, I've, I've been fortunate to be working with the Congressional Hunger Center and a, a conglomerate of 10 national nonprofits focused on uh, an end hunger summit that the White House is putting on on September 28th. And it's the first end hunger summit in 50 years. And what people aren't aware of is 42 million Americans are not sure of where their next meal is coming from, 14 million of whom are children. Food insecurity is a massive issue that needs to be urgently addressed. Yet we seem to think these are issues that are only faced in other countries, predominantly with non-white people. Right, right. 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 You see this all the time with the comments that come from South Asia, the Indian subcontinent, when actually we've got all of these problems within America. Absolutely. Really? So it's reframing that narrative to me. And how it is all really interlinked, right? I mean, because it is the folks who are, uh, who are, uh, you know, uh, who don't have access to healthcare, who are, who are, like you said, who are going hungry, who are, experiencing homelessness who are not being taken care of by by the structures and the systems that, and the institutions that were put in place uh, albeit uh, through a system that you know was uh, built on privilege and power so uh, so yeah i mean uh, to, to to make those connections are really important for folks here and i know that as people who are doing this sort of education it can get really overwhelming and uh, for those of us who are uh, doing this work what would what would be your uh, recommendations or words of advice or as a person who has lived this work for years like you said what would what, what would you tell us I will say this, and this is a message to the dominant culture. Please, it's better for you to do nothing than to engage in performative activism and allyship. And I had a very unfortunate experience myself last week, just based upon that, this, this, this performative notion, right? And it's actually much more damaging than the dominant culture and white folks realize when we are utilized in your game. And I would say that every person of color that I know is 
always willing to give the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, I had Diane Bondi, who's a very dear friend of mine, come and guest lecture at SDSU last week on restorative justice and anti-racism. And we were all sharing, like, it's actually much more damaging for white folks in the dominant culture to pretend to be an ally yes. and pretend to be a co-conspirator to change and then really just be doing it for your own benefit. Just doing it for optics. Yeah, just doing it for optics. Yeah. For optics and for your own benefit. And, and then it ends up being far more damaging. So this is an invitation. If you really have a commitment to social justice, and we saw this, everybody was painting themselves as they even were naming social justice warrior, activist, you know, putting labels on themselves, the hashtag, the black square. And three months later, it was gone because they realized, wow, yeah, you know, it actually isn't working for my business. I'm actually losing followers. I'm losing business. So to me, you know, this might not be for everybody, right? That's okay, but each of us can do something. And if you are part of the dominant culture and you really want to be an ally, really think about how you can commit to being a co-conspirator to change. We don't need you to speak for us. We're more than capable of doing that ourselves. If you want to align with BIPOC, do it for the right reasons and make sure that you're doing your own work. Because even though I had that negative experience, I mean, I've had plenty over the past two years, it doesn't jade me. And uh, because of my practice, right, you know, and uh, I will say I've met some amazing white folks in yoga and wellness over the past few years who were deeply committed to decolonization and anti-racism work. They are few and far between, but they're out there. And I would rather work with less people that are truly committed to change than hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people that are just doing it for optics and, and that performative nature. So, you know, think about the work ahead and it's work. And, and that's why we have our practice and do it for the right reasons. And, and really think about, you know, the concept of karma yoga. You, I'm sure, teach this in the Bhagavad Gita. Are we giving the fruits of our actions back to, to the God of our own understanding, divine consciousness, universal consciousness, however that looks to you? Or are we doing it with our own ego in mind? Are we doing it with our own ignorance at the forefront? You know, that avidya at the forefront of what we're doing. Because if we're doing it from that perspective, it's going to be far more damaging and ultimately um, be damaging for the individual too, mm -hmm. whether they're consciously aware of it or not. Well, beautifully said. And uh, thank you for being all so honest and I love that you talked about a performative uh, allyship or performative activism or whatever you want to call it and also I love the way you talk to talk about being in a capitalistic framework with integrity I mean that is some question that I always sort of look into for myself as well like how am I allying with organizations or people in a way which is centered around yoga ethics of uh, non-harming and that's a tough one for all of us who are you know in in this world and could you give us some more insight into your own thought processes you you already shared some is there anything else you want to add to that and again, it's linking back to linking back to intersection of wellness, uh, because it is all, in my opinion, everything is interconnected. Liberation is interconnected, and justice is interconnected. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's all interconnected. And also, to me, who gets to decide who doesn't get access? 
to wellness. I've worked in corporate settings. That was how I came to America, actually. And so for me, I was able to utilize my practice, but other people weren't aware of meditation and mindfulness. Other people weren't aware of the philosophy of yoga. Other people weren't aware how this is a framework for living. And so how can we show up wherever we are and make these practices? I mean, yoga is meditation. Yoga is mindfulness. It's all, it's not, again, when we say yoga, and I have to spend a lot of time decolonizing the mindset around yoga in my work, especially, unfortunately, with my cancer patients. When we reframe the narrative, right, meditation is yoga, breathing is yoga, you know, pranayama is yoga, mindfulness is yoga, then that in itself makes it accessible to people who don't have the physical ability to even walk, right? So, yeah, and I also think in terms of clients in whether it's a corporation or the private sector, whatever it is, who says that they shouldn't have access to these practices either? Most people are working in those settings, right? It's a luxury and privilege for those of us that have been able to exit. Many can't. That's absolutely right. And many, and so here, you know, I, I, I often find there's a very privileged narrative in yoga and wellness that I just don't engage in. This very much like these people shouldn't have it, and that person says who says you, yeah. and then it's also like, well, then we're just as bad as everybody else, right? Totally agree. Because we're only saying that this small subset of people that you've decided Get access. and you've given a tip, right. right? Get access. My work is all about anybody should have access to it. I'd love the mega people to have access to meditation and mindfulness. I'm not personally going to be leading that, but I'll say this. I wrote the article, as you know, for Insta. They were MAGA. Had they had a change of heart and change, I would have loved to have worked with them. Of course. Who am I not to? Who are we to judge that other people won't have a spiritual awakening, won't have a change of heart, Anjali? And the person that I wrote about in my article, I pray that they have a change of heart because they've been exposed to yoga, right? They were very well respected within our community. I mean, they weren't teaching yoga, but you know what I mean. They were, you know, doing what they were doing. And who are we to say that that person at some point, hopefully, will have an awakening? And so I find that there's problematic people on, on both sides. Obviously, one side is more problematic than the other. But to me, we have to be mindful that we're not playing into any one narrative. And, you know, the older that I get and the more that I do this work, the more I want to unlearn that. You know what I mean? And I can see where I've been upholding that to a degree. And perhaps I've been casting judgment. And perhaps I haven't been making my work as inclusive and as accessible as, as I want it to be. So that's my study. That's my self-study. Like, how can I do better? How can I be less judgmental? Right. With boundaries, right. of course. Right, of course. Right? I mean, yeah, we are not going to, like you said, you don't have to lead. We don't have, as people who have been impacted by white supremacy, we don't have to lead, a, you know, a yoga session or philosophy or breathing or whatever with people who are, who are that way but absolutely i hope somebody does and i hope their minds and hearts are changed and open so uh well said i agree with that and um maybe just to wrap things up i know you're also very busy uh wrap things up how can we as a as people from the collective and you know i always say who nobody knows 
who is going through cancer treatment because there is so much stigma especially in the communities that we you and I come from Anusha I used to work with people teach yoga to people who are going through cancer whose families and close friends didn't know that they were going through cancer because it is it has so much of stigma illness has so much of stigma in 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 the world that we live in so how can we as a collective uh, support uh, those who are going through cancer from your experience And that's a difficult one, right? Because there's so much that's attached to that, whether it's people don't feel comfortable telling their friends or their family and often the workplace. That's a big issue too, right? Or wherever they're they're existing and and inhabiting. And so to me, how we can show up for people is by being non-judgmental. And also, this is what I've also learned to practice. Don't ask someone. If someone wants to tell you something, they will tell you, you know, leading with, oh my gosh, you look so unwell. And South Asians have no, so yeah, whether it's with weight, putting on weight, losing weight, you know, whatever it is, they're just going to tell you, you know, blurt it out. So I think it's being, having that practice of mindfulness and taking a step back and, you know, even if you have noticed a change in somebody's appearance, perhaps, you know, choosing not to comment on that. The person is no doubt fully aware um, especially when it comes to chemotherapy, hair loss, the loss of, you know, eyebrows, radiation, all of those things. So I would just say being mindful if somebody has taken a step back out of your life to not take it personally. There could be many reasons why people are behaving the way that they are. And very often what happens is we send to ourselves, oh my gosh, how can this happen? How has this person not returned my call or my message or whatever? And I think decentering ourselves from any narrative is always a good way to go about it. And I just don't think we should be commenting on anybody's appearance in general. 100%. Absolutely. Th- yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And any, la- you know, we would love to support you, uh, like you said, for us, as at, when I say us, I'm talking about accessible yoga and the community who is listening to this uh, podcast conversation with you. Uh, how can we support you in your work right now? Thank you you for asking me. So there's a couple of ways you can decolonize your bookshelf and order a copy of Meditation with Intention uh, from wherever you like to order your books from. And that is just, it talks a lot about my work in in STEM and evidence-based medicine and cancer specifically. And then you can also uh, join my Patreon community, which is focused on decolonizing wellness with a commitment to being pro-science and anti-racist. And every patron gets access to the meditation program that I'm clinically testing at Hogue. And we come together in a monthly spiritual satsang, which soothes my soul. And these are people from all over the country and parts of the world who have a deep commitment uh, to decolonizing their wellness and yoga practices. And that's a wonderful way for us to build community with like-minded people. And it's a tonic. It really is a tonic in these times. Because let's be honest, Anjali, most yoga and wellness spaces in California, certainly in Orange County, I'm not sure where you're situated with, but I, are, are the opposite to me of what yoga is and the opposite of of inclusivity and and having even a deep understanding and awareness of what the practice of yoga really entails. So sometimes perhaps the only place that we can find that community is online. 
and and I'm grateful for this virtual space. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that, and I completely agree. Uh, I think community is everything, especially those who are going through cancer and their caregivers. Uh, community is so powerful. So thank you for facilitating that and sharing that. And I'm so very grateful for you, Anusha, for the work that you do, and with so much fire and passion. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you, and I. So looking forward to seeing where this new paths that you've taken on, this new new roles that you've taken on in academia. You know, I'm really excited to see where that's where this goes for you. Thank you so much oh, for joining. Well, thank you so much, and so grateful to be in community with you, and grateful for all the work that you were doing, and excited to see where you're going to be. You know, taking accessible yoga in the coming year. Thank you, thank you all so very much to all the listeners who've joined this conversation with Anusha Vijay Kumar and me, Anjali Rao. See you next time. Thanks for joining us for the Accessible Yoga Podcast. We're so grateful to be in community with you. Please check out our website, accessibleyoga.org, to find out more about our upcoming programs, including our annual Accessible Yoga Conference. At our website, you can also learn more about how to become an ambassador and support the work that we're doing in the world. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can also submit a question or suggest a topic or potential guests you would like us to interview at accessibleyoga.org. See you next time.